0: Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on communications.
1: Hello, I'm Charles von Gunten and I'm here to talk to you about how to discuss hospice care. This is a module that's designed to help you learn how to have this conversation. But before we get there, I want to spend a little time on the word hospice, where it came from, and some of the data so that you feel confident in why you're discussing hospice care. And then at the end of this, you'll have a way to frame this conversation so you'll be confident and you can help your patients. Now, I trained in internal medicine and in medical oncology before I became full-time in hospice and palliative medicine. What I'm going to teach you today is what I learned, now more than 30 years ago, and it changed my life. I went from being anxious and not feeling comfortable having this conversation, to having a clear road map and a way to have this conversation that helped me be comfortable, and it then helped my patients and their families be comfortable. The word hospice care in contemporary language we can attribute to this woman, Cicely Saunders. Cicely Saunders was first a nurse, and she quickly hurt her back and she had to stop, and then she became a social worker, and she was working at St. Thomas's Hospital in downtown London on a surgical cancer ward, and she saw many patients with advanced cancer and bad pain, and she wanted to do something about it. And so she became a physician in order to be able to do something about the pain of people with advanced cancer. Many people think of hospice care as being a modern thing because Cicely Saunders was the one that disseminated this worldwide. But hospices have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is a photograph of Trinity Hospice. This is also in central London, but it was founded in the 1800s. Although it's Trinity Hospice now, it used to be called the home for the incurables. I hope that gives you a little shiver. It was a place to go to die. Many people still have that association with the word, but it means much, much more. This is a photograph of St. Christopher's Hospice that I took when I was early in my training and had a chance to go there to train. This is the photograph, this is the view that most people see when they see St. Christopher's. This is the hospice that Cicely Saunders built as a way to demonstrate her models of ways of taking care of people with advanced cancer who are dying. But this is also a photograph of St. Christopher's Hospice. Now, when I first showed you Trinity Hospice, many people have this view of hospice as a place, a lovely building, a lovely place to go, where grandmother folds her arms in front of her and calmly says goodbye and dies. Doesn't this look industrial? Cicely Saunders had trouble raising money for this. It was built to take care of more than 50 people at a time. The reason I show you this is too many people get caught up in the way a hospice looks rather than in the care that is delivered there. But it's the care that was delivered at St. Christopher's that sent this around the world. And that's the important thing to take away. So this brings up the issue of how we use the word hospice. Globally, the word is used in several different ways. I've illustrated with these photographs the most traditional use of it, which is a place. A place with beds, a place to go to die. But it also means a team-based approach to care toward the end of life. That team of doctors, nurses, social workers, chaplains, therapists, pharmacists, working together can see people anywhere. They can see them at a place like St. Christopher's, or they can go into patient's home or into nursing homes or into hospitals. It's not bounded by a place, it's an approach to care. And in the United States, where in 1982 it became a funded part of Medicare, which is the National Health Insurance Scheme for everyone over the age of 65, it provides for this team approach to care anywhere a patient lives and the focus is on the patient and the family, and it also includes volunteer caregivers. As of 2021, half of all Americans over the age of 65 who die each year, die receiving hospice care. That's an extraordinary achievement, and it's based on the data that I'm going to show you. I want to touch on the words hospice versus palliative care there's frequently controversy about whether the words mean something different, whether they mean the same thing, or what's the relationship between the two. The phrase I like best was written by Cicely Saunders herself. She wrote this in a foreword to the Oxford textbook of palliative medicine. She said palliative care grew out of and includes hospice care. This is the way I was exposed to this care. I learned about hospice care in a hospice unit, but it became so clear how powerful it is that it got expanded to the rest of the hospital where I was working, and it really has application to all of health care. But hospice care is that palliative care delivered close to the end of life. So all hospice care is palliative care, but not all palliative care is hospice care. Palliative care is managing the entire experience of illness, often across a long period of time. The goal is to prevent and relieve suffering, to promote the quality of life as well as the quality of death and bereavement. It's for any diagnosis, not just cancer, and it's for any time there is the need. I like showing this pictorially because for some people it makes sense when they see a visual of this. So in this diagram, if you think of all the care that someone will get for a serious illness, it could be cancer, or it could be heart failure, or it could be emphysema, but if all of that care from the time of presentation to the health care system to the time of death is that red box, and if all the care that is needed by the family for bereavement is in that yellow triangle, meaning the intensity of bereavement support is most needed right at the time of death, but it also extends over time. Then where is the palliative care? Where is it needed? Well, there is a need for relief of suffering and improving quality of life early in the presentation. I can think of all the patients that I've seen with cancer who presented because of serious pain and the patients with heart failure who had serious shortness of breath, same with emphysema, being able to manage the symptoms and the suffering early clearly makes the course of the illness and the quality of life better. It's not end-of-life care. During that period, during all of that period of the red box, that could be over years, there is still need for symptom control, still need for patient and family support, still need for attention to emotional, practical, spiritual issues. That can extend over years. That is all palliative care. But as the disease progresses, if the cancer is getting worse, if the heart failure is getting worse, palliative care needs increase, and palliative care often intensifies over the last few years of an illness course. And then end-of-life care and by really just a convention, at least in the U.S., that's the last six months of life, as a time for enhanced palliative care, and we call that hospice care. Can't forget, there's a need for bereavement care for families, but palliative care is across this entire spectrum, from presentation through to bereavement. So one way to think of this then is hospice care is enhanced palliative care that started at the beginning of the illness but is intensified and enhanced as illness progresses and as death is near. So in this diagram then, again where the red square is all the health care, hospice care is that small period when the prognosis is less than six months, at least that's the access to the Medicare hospice benefit in the U.S., before death. So enhanced palliative care, even though palliative care can extend across the course of illness. Let's touch a bit on the value of hospice care. This is from Joan Tino's study of a representative sample of all Americans who died using a look-back survey technique of their family members. 1,578 people who died was represented, and they were chosen to represent all of Americans. Families were asked about the quality of the end-of-life care. On this graph, you can see the the scores for those who said the quality of -of end-of-life care was excellent. And you can see the percent there on the left-hand x-axis. And the the four columns, then, are where the person died. The first is when the person was receiving home health care, not hospice care. Home health care, nurses, other visitors at home, but not with the experience of a hospice team. Second is those dying with hospice care, a team, and in the U.S., primarily seeing people at home. Third was people who died in a nursing home, but without any other support there. And the fourth you can see there is the hospital. Now, early in my career when I was training um, and getting my PhD, I had a mentor who said to me, Charles, it's best to, dis- to um, study something where you don't need statistics to tell the difference. So if I said, if you look at this, is there one group where it stands out that the quality of -of end-of-life care was much better nearly twice as good you would say hospice care. This data in my judgment is the best scientific evidence for you to say that hospice care is the best care for someone who is facing the end of life. It's a scientific fact. Now from that same study there were other questions that were asked of family members. Here, the um, uh, in the blue, you can see if the family said the patient wanted more pain relief. In the yellow, the patient wanted more physician contact. And in the green, that the patient got no respect. Now, as your eyes go across these same four categories, which one was the best. Well I hope you can see that the hospice was the best. Patients got the best pain relief, they got the most physician contact that they needed, and they got the respect that the family expected. Now it should strike you that hospice care primarily at home is not a setting where there are many physicians. Physicians only visit when there are particularly uh, important issues. But the place that is crawling with physicians, at least in the U.S. and everywhere else I've visited around the world, hospitals have physicians. How could it be that more than 50% of the families said the patient wanted more physician contact was in the hospital? And where was the pain relief the worst? It was patients at home with a home health agency, not skilled, trained people from a hospice agency. I think this is very powerful information. So this point I want to drive home. The scientific evidence is clear. Hospice care is the best quality. It is also the best value for those who are expected to die. And therefore it is up to us to be able to recommend this as best medical care. It's not a choice like what clothing to wear. I am frequently hear about people presenting hospice care as if it's a choice. Do you want to wear jeans or do you want to wear shorts? Do you want to wear high heels or do you want to wear flats? It's not that kind of choice. And what it is most certainly not is a choice about whether to die or not. We're talking about facing the situation where an illness is relentlessly progressive despite standard medical care. I said that hospice care is the best value care. This is data on the cost of hospice care in the United States. Every study, including this one, has shown significant cost savings when patients are enrolled in hospice care. This table shows the adjusted savings based on the range of time that people are enrolled in hospice care under the Medicare hospice benefit. You can see that the savings over the care of someone who is not enrolled is 2500 if they are enrolled on the order of two to three months, but it's on the order of 6500 if they are enrolled for a couple of weeks to a month. Now you might ask yourself, well why would that be? because it does cost money to be enrolled in the Medicare hospice benefit. Those nurses are going out, social workers, chaplains, physician visits, medications, that's all expensive. But even for those short periods, there is even more savings because you're avoiding hospitalization. That is the overwhelming benefit of being enrolled in hospice care. Problems can be handled at home rather than rushing to the hospital, which is the most expensive place in any nation's healthcare system to get care. So this is an inescapable conclusion. Palliative care is the highest value in end-of-life care. And I'm using the term value here, meaning the quality is higher and the cost is lower. So I think it's incumbent on all of us, and particularly every physician, to not think of palliative care as a choice. Do you want palliative care involved? As opposed to this is the best quality care I know to get for you, we need to get that team involved. And increasingly, in countries around the world, including in the United States, it is now a system-wide quality measure. So let's move now. If I've persuaded you about the terminology and what hospice care is, and that there is medical evidence that proves it is the best care, then how do you structure a conversation with a patient about this? It's often a part of a goals of care conversation or a discussion about what care and what types of services patients and families will need. In the U.S., Because of the way it's structured under the Medicare hospice benefit, patients and family actually have to sign a form. They need to elect to receive hospice care, and the requirement is that two physicians must agree that the patient's prognosis is less than six months if the illness runs its normal course. Now, we won't get hung up on that today about prognosis. That's the subject of another conversation. But that is the criteria. The conversation goes best if this is a conversation that is rooted in the patient's overall goals for life and their goals for care, knowing what the doctors know about the situation. If the patients understand their prognosis already, then the conversation can move to how best to treat them. In the U.S., that also includes then a description of what services will they get if they do enroll in hospice care. This is likely to differ from country to country. But overall, a key take-home here is that wherever you are working, the palliative care program that is available to you is the best way to take care of patients when they are getting close to the end of life. So... Now let's move to actually how to have this conversation. So many people get anxious about this and I want to show you an approach that you will say this is smooth and easy and I could do that. I'm going to show you a conversation with a patient. I want you to listen for how I structure this conversation. I'm using the six steps to communicate effectively that Bob Buckman first articulated in his book gosh 40 years ago. His book changed my life as a physician. He then called it spikes as a mnemonic for remembering those six steps. S for the setting, P for asking for the perception, I for initiation of an invitation, K for the knowledge that you are going to share E for the emotion, and then S for the subsequent steps. This conversation guide works to structure the hospice talk. I also want to listen for those specific techniques that elicit the emotion of the patient. Naming the emotion, having a way to understand it, showing respect, and giving support So I'm going to show you this. I want you to watch for these, and then we'll talk about a few of the elements when it's over. Hello, I'm Dr. Von Gunten. I'm here to talk to you about your current health care, and particularly to make some plans about how best to take care of you in the future. Okay. It would help me to know what you understand from what your doctors have told you about your current condition.
2: I understand that the medicine is no longer working. Mm. Um, and I am not going to get any better. I'm very tired. And my heart hurts.
1: When you say your heart hurts, what do you mean by that?
2: I, uh, I'm... I'm I think I have I have no energy Uh and I feel just worn out you seem sad to me well I'm not really sad I am I'm sorry that the medication we're at that you know we're we've come to this part of our journey Mm -hmm. my journey Mm -hmm. and um, I guess I'm ready to just relax and And see what happens Mm -hmm. What are you expecting? What am I expecting? Um, I'm expecting to um, I would like to be comfortable Mm -hmm. I would like uh, not to be a burden to my family I would like to have The best quality of life that I can At this time So
1: what you've told me is, the the doctors have told you that despite everything they've done, that the heart failure is getting worse. Right. And you know that. I do. And what you're hoping for in the future is to be comfortable. Right. And to have your symptoms managed. Right. Is there anything else you're hoping for in regard to your family or friends or home?
2: I just don't want to be a burden to them. Mm. And I know that I can't do this alone without them. Right. Have you heard the word hospice before? I have.
1: What does that word mean to you?
2: Oh, it's kind of frightening in a way.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I have friends who have had hospice. But I don't know a whole lot about it. I don't know um, what they could offer. Mm
1: -hmm. When you said hospice is frightening, say more about what's frightening about it.
2: Well, I think just the part that uh, you're going to die. And um, that's an unknown I
1: think many people are frightened by that word Mm -hmm. because they only hear it in the context often after someone you've known has died and someone says, oh yeah, well they had hospice care. But it really means something, I think, quite different. It's a program of a team of people helping you at this time of your life to achieve the things that you just said you wanted, Uh to be comfortable, be at home to not be a burden on your family but to help take caring of take care of you for as long as you have left.
2: Wow, that's a pretty big that's a lot that they offer.
1: Well that's usually most people's reaction once they learn about it they think why didn't somebody tell me sooner mm-hmm. and it sounds a little too good to be true It does. It does. And so my goal today is to not tell you all the details. We can have somebody from the hospice program tell you and your family in more detail. My goal today was to, to introduce this concept and tell you that I and the rest of your doctors think this is the best way to take care of you at this time of your life.
2: Okay. Sounds good.
1: So I think the, the best thing would be to... To make an appointment now I can call them or I can give you their telephone number and you can call them and I recommend you have them see you at home
2: okay and could I include my family in this? I think that would be
1: an excellent idea
2: okay I would like to do that just to see what they do really have to offer
1: right and then after you have that conversation we can get together again to talk about what you learned and I can help you with any further questions and maybe make a decision
2: Okay, as a plan. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So let's debrief what you just saw.
2: I only want to
1: make a few comments about a few key pieces of how this went. First, Did you notice how long this was? I can tell you, this was not edited. This was shot through from beginning to end. There are no breaks. And it was on the order of four, four and a half minutes. So many people, when they think about having this conversation, think, oh my god, it will take hours, hours, and I don't have time, so I'm just not going to bring it up. In fact, structured this way, it can be very direct and short. So that's the first point I want you to notice that for the average patient this doesn't need to be a difficult conversation. If you notice I asked her about what she understood and that took a few phrases because she was being so short in her responses. We learned that she knew everything, as so many patients do. You cannot have the hospice talk if the patient doesn't know. Now there are some patients who don't want to know, but then the conversation should be with someone else. But for the average Western patient, they already know but nobody's asked them. She knew everything. And you notice then I summarized to be absolutely certain that we were uh, communicating well. The second thing I want to point out there is the emotion. That took a few questions, but do you notice that I was guiding this conversation primarily with questions? She did the most talking. In interviewing this woman, the comment that my heart hurts was, I might be um, surprising to some, and I'm thinking of those for whom English isn't a primary language or you're not um, in American culture, where Americans use lots of euphemisms. I didn't know what she meant, my heart hurts. Was she having angina? Was there is some structural problem? But she was using it as a reference to her heart as an emotional organ. And that she was sad, which is Appropriate. It helped tell me, yes, we are talking about the same things. This is a hard point in the progress of the illness. Then I want you to notice that I, when we move to the knowledge part, I used the phrase, Have you heard the word hospice? As a way to introduce the topic, it helps surface if there are any preconceived notions, the most standard one is, hospice, that's where you go to die. I want to elicit that and so that I can then assuage the concern. For this woman, that wasn't the case. More and more over time, many people have heard about it. They've known people who have had hospice care. They have a positive um, attitude about it. They just want to know, is it the right time? And that's what they're looking to you for. For this woman, I could then move on. And you notice I recommended it as the best medical treatment for her at this time of her life. And then the conversation went very quickly there to, all right then, how do we set this up? What are the next steps? So in summary, this is a straightforward conversation. You have the tools. You know why you need to do it, because The science is clear. It's the best way to take care of patients. And you know the value that this brings to your patients, their families. And I give you great courage to have this conversation on a routine basis for those who need it. Thanks very much.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends so you don't miss any of our new content. Make sure you are subscribing to PCIC podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC Curriculum.